Hey team, you're about to experience my interview with Van Tucker from Luxor One. Luxor One are a US-based manufacturer and distributor of parcel storage locker systems. That includes the physical storage locker themselves, as well as the back-end management and networking infrastructure required to build out extensive parcel locker networks for e-commerce. We had a fantastic chat about where this dynamic industry is headed and how Luxor One is leading the way. Enjoy. This is the E-Commerce Edge Podcast with your host, Jason Greenwood. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. It is my pleasure to welcome Ben Tucker to the podcast, and he is from Luxor One. Welcome, Ben. Hey, thanks for having me on today. Man, it's awesome to have you along for the ride today. And you are in from the state that I originally hail from, California. You're based in Sacramento, aren't you? Yeah, our headquarters is based in Sacramento, and I live a little bit up um, north in greater northern California, about an hour and a half north of Sacramento. Very nice. I had lots of family that uh, used to live up in northern California. Most of them have now moved up to Oregon. I had family that were, was living in, near Mount Shasta for over a decade. Yeah, I'm very familiar with the beautiful northern part of California. It's two separate states, like Northern California, Southern California. I was raised in Southern California, and we always think of Southern California. Basically, anything south of San Francisco is pretty much Southern California. We consider that almost like a separate state. Yeah, it's a whole different world. So there's Mount Shasta, super fun times, and totally different universe. And when people think of California, it's the opposite. Yeah, they usually when people think of SoCal in particular, they think of L.A., San Diego, Newport Beach. They think of the beach cities and big, massive megalopolises and Orange County and things like that. But there's this whole other, there's this whole other world. And as you go up the coast there and you go up PCH up into Northern California, the landscape and the temperatures and you get more into woodland and you get into forests. And it's just a, it's just a fantastic trip up that coastline, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely love it. We're not here to talk about California, although I could probably talk about California for a long time. We started time, a new podcast. Let's talk about exactly, California. Exactly. Expats of California or something like that. But, but in any case, you are, you're working now in the tech space. We'll, we'll talk about your technology in a minute, but I'd love to learn a little bit more about how you came to even be in this space. You come from a, a deep tech background, software development background, software engineering background as partner and or co-founder and or CTO of lots of businesses, plus you have an agency background, both a venture studio agency background and a digital agency background. So it feels like the combination of tech and client services is, is really your bag. Absolutely. So yeah, I all started telling a story. I started in high school, just building products for mostly digital-based products online. This was in high school when Instant Messenger was a thing. MySpace existed before Facebook. So we built some online communities for my friends for riding our bikes because, hey, we shoot, we ride bikes in the daytime. Then we started posting up these little micro websites of the online community. So that's how I got into the digital space, of taking my hobby of riding bikes. Then at nighttime, when the sun went down, I get on the computer and start making different solutions, building a website, then a community, then a chat. And then started doing that early in high school. Long story short, someone's like, hey, Van, you can build a website or something for one of my friends. Dad's has a business that they work for. I was like, yeah, I can build a website for that. Next thing you know, parlayed into a agency, just kind of word of mouth. It wasn't like I started a business plan and said, hey, let's go do it. It's something I took on the side and started building solutions. And that's what I've been doing now for a couple of decades is now working similar story on it. But it's always been fun working with companies on the idea stage when they come up with something and 
So you found it really passionate about building like a widget of some kind. How do you take that idea that someone developed and how do you can make it um, accessible? And that's where digital side on the agency and service has always been a common thing for me. So went through college, building some other startups, had a roommate and I were both very similar into sports and making online platforms. And I brought him in as a roommate with me and I had my fiance at the time and a bunch of kind of tech type of people. And this was before like Venmo and rent. It's like, how do you pay rent to each other? So we made this like online platform to build pay rent startup we started and moved down to Silicon Valley and tried it out. And we didn't have any investors or anything all bootstrapped, but good experience. Learned a lot about money transmission laws and things, but built our confidence on to taking building more like software based solutions. So built out a just word of mouth. People, hey, you built this, you built it for me. So we built a, an agency on marketing technology that connected with some people in the city, like in the larger city in San Francisco and LA. So we're building a lot of stuff from major brands like Major League Baseball, Qualcomm. And this is right in our mid-20s, like dream accounts that we'll get to build solutions for. And But we always love building startups. Like we got these cool, awesome brands we're working with, but man, we love building stuff. So we always on the side dabbled in building things. And and then eventually started thinking, hey, we should like take our skills and expertise and start building like mobile apps and solutions, like a venture studio model. So at the time I was in California, we relocated our company to Reno, Nevada. So I, when you talk about California, I'm one of the guys that left California and came back to California now. Did a venture studio for a handful of years. Super amazing experience. Worked with a lot of awesome brands. The venture studio model is always great. You work a lot, do a lot of projects at once. We took um, a lot of joint venture deal. How do we build them? Built some delivery-based companies. Built entertainment platforms. And some of these startups, like a lot of startups, work. Some of them don't work. Some got acquired. And part of that journey was like really the ones that really succeeded was the commerce brands, the e-commerce brands. And this is when Shopify was growing at the stage. And then also the ecosystem of building commerce direct to consumer grew. So that's where we like when we started looking at these brands that were building them, some of the most successful brands that were getting traction in was e-commerce brands. So we started, moved out. So it took us on these venture, the venture studio, a couple of the brands that did well started a full service 4PL, where it was a fully integrated warehouse, website management, logistics company called Vander, where we took and brands, provided all the direct consumer brand management, and grew the brands past this fully managed service solution, two of them being ran fully independent. So when we started running some of those brands out, started exploring different opportunities, I was a fractional CTO advisor working some startups. And then I met this new company, one of the founders here in Sacramento, that had a new skunk work division that they're developing. And that's where I'm at today. I've been focused on still heavy in commerce, still doing a lot of different platforms, um, still taking this digital side of that you see on the Shopify ecosystem or the e-commerce platform and now on the kind of the logistics last final mile arm and also the first mile. It's been a pretty exciting ride and still rolling on it. Wow. It is. I tell you, what I've learned after working in the e-commerce space now for over 20 years, I think ops and logistics is pretty much what e-commerce is like without super amazing operational capabilities and a rock solid operational core from a tech and a people and process perspective. But then secondarily, from a logistics perspective, if you don't nail, absolutely nail logistics, both internal and delivery logistics, and for that matter, 
reverse logistics, if you can't nail all of those pieces, you will most likely not succeed as an e-commerce or omni-channel brand because it just, it is so part and parcel of being able to actually A, be efficient, but also B, to provide a, an absolutely incredible and differentiated customer experience. And I just, I probably buy roughly 90% of the stuff that I buy at, at retail. I shop 90% online and the, the, the other 10% is really because I have no other choice being here in Mexico. And, and maybe I haven't found yet the place to buy certain things online in Mexico. It probably does exist, but I maybe haven't found it yet. And what I have discovered is that this whole parcel locker thing, because I, I was based down in ANZ, that's where I built Australia, New Zealand. That's where I bought, built my career. And I remember when parcel lockers first became a thing, when Toll and a couple of other third party, independent third party venture backed firms started up their parcel locker networks. I remember when it first came to New Zealand, it came to Australia first, then it came to New Zealand. And then as the industry evolved, almost every single major logistics company started providing lockers. And then finally, each flag carrier, so in the case of New Zealand Post, in the case of Australia Post, started to offer their own parcel networks because they saw so much of their revenue being cannibalized by all these independent third-party locker networks that were in things like convenience stores and were in like uh, hotel lobbies and were in, if they, if they were in a mall, then they would have their own little not locker suite of lockers by uh, the bathrooms and things like that. And so we saw really, like I saw this right from the time when there were no lockers available. You just, it, it just didn't exist as a concept all the way through this evolution to where now everybody and their dog does lockers, some better than others, some better services than others, some integrate directly with carriers, some do not. So I guess I've seen this evolution in another part of the world, but it seems like you've been part of that revolution uh, in the States and in North America. So, so I'd love to better understand the evolution of, of how your specific locker service came to be. And then secondarily, was there a similar evolution of the industry in the States as what happened in ANZ starting at about, starting about 10, 15 years ago? Yeah, it's a great question. And um, the United States is very unique in the space. Often the United States is known as sometimes being an innovator. But when it comes to lockers and partial networks in the United States um, that you see like around cities, it's not gotten traction, actually. So traction in the United States for a locker adoption and use has still been still happening. Tell the backstory where we got here today. We're part of a company called Luxor One. We're the largest package management locker network here in the United States. We have over about 10,000 locker locations. But at the end of the day, a lot of these locker locations are at multifamily apartment buildings, retail stores. They're not on the streets that you see common in the UK and New Zealand that you're talking about. They're often private locations and used for package management solutions there. The idea that we had was how do we really bring locker adoption to the United States? And the scale of the United States is so large and the breadth of it. A major carrier, like one of the top three carriers, and say, yeah, I'm going to deploy lockers. The only person that's only come to really deploy lockers has been Amazon Lockers. The Amazon Lockers is a carrier, fully integrated. They have many locker locations around the United States and it is the top, like, locker network in the North America market, but all of the only clothes for that one for Amazon. As we are looking at different opportunities in the space as how do we become power, our mission is powering the world's largest locker network. So it, the question for the United States was a question, not if it's going to happen. The question is when is lockers going to be in the United States and who's going to be the company powering that network? So, you know, we started looking at different strategies. Our founder, Arik, has been starting multiple locker companies. An issue was in laundry lockers. So he started putting laundry lockers around San Francisco for dry cleaning services. And he's, when he started this company, 
there was no package management lockers. Direct-to-consumer wasn't that big, but he made a smart locker. And this was over about 20 years ago now. And he started putting them around San Francisco, became the largest laundry service in San Francisco, and then started looking, how can I scale this into other cities? I had to invest a lot of money in lockers to do this. Instead of raising a big VC round, Arc said, hey, how can I build a more sustainable business that can grow? He went with a more licensing model where he sold lockers to other laundromat, licensed all the technology, and started a company called Drop Locker, which can then literally a laundry locker full stack solution. Buy the lockers, all the technology, and then a laundromat can become like a digital transformation of a laundromat. That scaled out across about 20 continents in the United States. While that was growing, some of these, a lot of these laundry mats were, these laundry lockers are actually at multifamily apartment buildings. So people start knocking on the door and the, he, the customers say, hey, we got a laundry locker here, but do you make anything for packages? Because we're, our front lobby is getting covered. But yeah, I can deal something like that. He spun off, a, he started a separate company called Luxor One, built out a whole entire new platform. And the initial idea was how we go half S or FedEx or a carrier become a multi-carrier lock. And this was over 17 years ago when started the idea. Luxor One's been around for seven years, but no, not really quite ready for this. So then he's able to sell these lockers to a multi-family apartments, make it become an amenity type was the concept. And now that amenity is one of the top ask ratings when some of these class A apartment buildings, hey, when you look at a property you live, they say, what's an amenity that we like? You want a gym? a pool and a lot of top of that list often is a package management solution so we've became the leader in the space for lockers in multi-family apartments and then we got into retail and that's really in like the bopis model you buy online and pick up in store so we now have um, home depot is one of our retail partners where we have lockers for buy online pick up in store same thing with best buy best buy has been rolling out lockers but the big thing it was always in the back of our minds like hey there's gonna be need lockers around cities just like you see in other markets. So a few years ago, Locksler 1 got acquired by Asa Abloy, and part of that acquisition was to really take that idea and then make it become reality. So that's what we've been now working on for about two years. Initially, was heavy on product development, making a very easy product that we call the Anywhere Locker that can drop and deploy easily. And now it's bringing it out to market in the United States of deploying public lockers, which are truly... You can be used for packages. That's one use case, but we really see these be more in packages. It could be for dry cleaning and all these other use cases as well that we can talk more about throughout this conversation. Wow, what a what an amazing journey! And so, has the business adopted that same model that kind of took over in the laundry service space to where you are less capital intensive, i.e. you don't necessarily own the lockers, you don't necessarily own the locations. The owners of the locations will effectively either buy or lease lockers themselves. You you provide the technology backbone. You're almost like the the Uber of locker services, right? We can think of lockers almost like a, a marketplace, a logistics marketplace, right? You're trying to connect buyers and sellers together, right? And with the locker service being the intermediary service so that the buyers have a place that's local to them. So where they can go and they can pick up the products that they bought. And so to me, what it feels like is that you guys are best placed to provide the technology, almost like the Uber of locker services, right? So do you run a capital light model now where the location owners actually buy the lockers and the technology and effectively license everything from you, including lockers? Or do you guys own the lockers themselves and effectively you're working in partnership with the venue owners, the location owners to be able to place your lockers there? 
to be able to connect your buyers and sellers together? Yeah, great question. So right now, the model that we're running off of is a hardware as a service model where we actually are an asset heavy um, proposition where we actually own the locker locations and we'll be deploying about another 17,000 locations over the next two years. We have 25,000 locker locations. That's where we actually go out. We find that we secure the what we call location host. We host those locations and we work on a partnership framework with those location hosts. Some of those location hosts use our lockers for a value added service. And then some of the location hosts are just strictly location hosts. That's the operation we're going with today as we own the infrastructure. We see this as an infrastructure strategy. And the main reason is the capital investment to deploy the infrastructure is not really a company out there yet taking that initiative and role to do it. And we see us, that's how why locker adoption hasn't been as high in the United States. We do see a future, our core business at Luxor One is selling lockers. So we do have the option if someone wants to take one of these lockers and use it for some other use case or make it a dedicated locker, we do have that option. Someone can buy one of what we call anywhere locker, take all of our technology tech stack, make it a fully closed locker platform. That's not our the core business on the division I'm on at Harvard, but we do have that as an option for companies that want to make a closed network or maybe they want, because we're focused mostly all in the United States on this hardware as a service model. If you want to go take a lock and go bring it to Mexico and some other market, that's another option as well. You have to purchase the hardware as well. I guess the from a VC perspective, for example, or from an investment perspective, VCs oftentimes don't like investing in asset-heavy models, but what the upside of it is from my perspective is you have a significantly larger and more established moat the more investment you put into the assets. So basically, your your assets uh, within the business, the more that you invest in that hardware, the greater the assets the business has, and they're not just internal assets that are being used for internal services. These are assets that are actually being used uh, in a public-facing way. And so therefore, you can look at your locations as as an asset because once a location is fitted out with your lockers, it's probably pretty unlikely that they're gonna open themselves up to an Amazon or to somebody else's locker network. So that's the first thing. That's the the first moat. But secondarily, because the asset has an expense and a lot of the location owners won't necessarily want to make that investment into those lockers, even for internal use, automatically by you supplying the lockers, you build an additional moat, which says, okay, uh, almost no one apart from maybe a competitor that's running a competing locker network is going to want to make this investment. So therefore, sure, it costs us more upfront, but it makes us more sticky and it, it creates natural competitive moats that we wouldn't have any other way. Is that kind of how you see it too? Yeah, I see. We see it as a moat and it's also a requirement in the United States in order to get lockers to be actually get that momentum and caught up. So that is, we see it as a moat, but also as a key driver to drive lobster adoption and to really change that user behavior to even start leveraging lockers. And then fortunately, we're not running, we're not VC funded since we're part of a Asa with that, that empowers us to see these more long-term thinking and strategies. And then I think companies can use our network. Some of the companies do work with that are leveraging our hardware assets are VC funded. And they do see that as a huge advantage. And a lot of their investors love it because, hey, we don't need to go invest in lockers. We can piggyback on top of this infrastructure and then build on top of it and build very similar to an Uber or an Airbnb experience you're mentioning being asset light. We do work with a lot of companies and that's the objective is to bring more on that can leverage our infrastructure play. Very similar to Amazon Web Services, servers and everything to go spin up your data center. 
no one, not very few, many companies are going, hey, I'm going to go build my own data center now. You just go use Amazon Web Services. And that's the kind of the concept when it comes to our lockers we see as a model where companies can start building right on top of it from day one and not worry about the locker maintenance, securing the lockers. They can really focus on driving their business and their um, business application on top of the network. And obviously having the backing of us, Abloy, is amazing. For those that don't know, I mean, I'm sure they've heard the name, but they are a global access control system company, provider, vendor, from automatic doors to hotel access control systems through security at airports and all that sort of stuff. They are an absolute global powerhouse and behemoth when it comes to global access services. So it feels like a natural adjacency that they would get involved in parcel lockers. It feels like just a quite a natural fit because obviously you've got really complex access control systems that are fully integrated end to end for these locker networks to work properly. And obviously you have to have the communication systems that hang off of the backside of that. And then obviously integration with carriers and things like that. So how have you guys then started to work in with various carrier networks around the United States to make your lockers available to customers when, for example, they're checking out of an e-commerce website, a Shopify website, say, for example, and they want to have their parcel dropped off at a local locker that you operate, are you integrating first and foremost with Shopify or are you integrating with somebody like a USPS or a FedEx or a UPS? Are you integrating with carriers first and foremost that then extending those services via their API suite to merchants, e-commerce merchants, and therefore their customers? Or are you integrating directly with e-commerce platforms to make your services available and then you deal with the carrier integration on the back end. Yeah, this is what's really unique about today, Luxor One. We do, we've done over 250 million package deliveries through our lockers and we have a lot of locations, but when it comes to these Harvard public lockers, we haven't really been focused on carrier integrations at this stage. It's reversing the tide of how you get locker locations. So when it comes to carrier integrations today, the way that we work with other service providers that are in between us and the customer. So we have some apps on our marketplace that are called that have been rolling out and coming out. So we have a company called ShipSafe Network. They've built a full, fully end-to-end integrated platform which integrates with Shopify. You can select a nearby locker location. They've built a 3PL integration that can then manage the shipping label. In addition, they created a driver app that integrates into our locker. With us, we're a little different because we focus strictly on the locker hardware and the locker connectivity with an open technology to let companies integrate. So we don't have directly integration with um, Shop Division as we work with other companies that develop full-stack locker-based solutions on top of them, like such as um, ShipSafe Network that is does have a Shopify app. And then in addition, we work with some outbound shipping companies for different returns as well. So you can actually go out there and go to one of the locker locations. They can drop it off and then they do outbound or shipping of returns through the lockers or also any outbound shipments. And one thing that's a little unique for us is that's where the industry is often talking about partial lockers and package management lockers. We see a big opportunity, not just lockers. We see these really what we call the word, the physical internet. How can we connect the physical internet that's, of course, commerce. That's what a lot of my background is from the e-commerce side. But we also see people using them for other things. We have lockers around cities. People can use for bag storage when they go to a concert. They can use, we also work some companies that do product sampling and giveaways through the lockers. We got all these other, you have a food pantry that we work with. 
So the way these lockers are being deployed, they're really truly a multi-use locker, which can be used for partial. And that's something that we actually don't spend tons of energy on today. We really see that is the concept of how locker adoption will expand the United States by doing more than just package management. And so you see yourselves as a last, right? If we wanted to shorten that down to its component parts, your locker is a service company, right? And so you've got you got the physical hardware, you've got the management layer, you've got the API interface and go for gold. Anybody that wants to consume that directly as part of their public service. So let's say, I don't know, let's just pull a name out of the air. Let's say you're DoorDash, right? And instead of having groceries or food or whatever it is delivered directly to a door, let's say that they want to also have the option of a locker pickup service for whatever reason, right? Uh, someone's coming home from work or whatever and hey, cool, I'm going to have this DoorDash delivery delivered to my local locker that's around the corner from my house because they can't get into my apartment building, whatever the case may be. Cool. I know it's going to arrive there at 5 p.m., whatever it is. I'm going to be driving past at 5.30 p.m. Cool. I can pick up my groceries and I'm off to the races, right? To your point, what it feels like and what it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is you literally are a locker as a service provider. Sure, in some instances, you have historically provided the end consumer-facing layer, but that was more almost like a proof of concept or a seeding the market type of interface, whereas now you're trying to pivot to purely a locker as a service model and then all of the other service providers that can envisage the million different ways that lockers can be utilized via API and mobile app interface, then that becomes their responsibility. And so if somebody like a USPS or a UPS, for example, decided, hey, we want to tap into this locker service and we really want to make it a core part of our service so that our integration, for example, with Shopify surfaces where appropriate and where a destination is within QE of one of uh, the lockers that we integrate with, if we can make that service available in real time as a shipping delivery destination, then we'll do that through our existing integration with other platforms. And so really they're consuming your locations as a service and then extending that out to the end consumer through their consumer-facing apps. Yeah, got it spot on. You need to join the team. You've been doing a great sales pitch for us here. I'm glad that you communicated it correctly. <laughs> but the fun thing there is that that's where we see it as. we, And that's where really owning your true customer data is critical and really adding more utility to like a company like Uber. They don't want someone to go open up another app to go open a locker. They want to really own that full end-to-end experience. And that's where the open API and the technology comes into play. In addition, a lot of companies don't want to, like we talked about, is like the infrastructure buying it. So with us, we just charge a small little rental fee every time one of these little doors get used on our network. So we truly are making it a partnership model where we only make it paid when you get paid and then making it in a way that um, we do see lockers as in the United States, the expectation to um, retailers and customers, hey, how can you deliver to my doorstep? And that's one thing that free shipping and home delivery really got people spoiled in the United States of getting delivered to their door. So with that, we still see lockers may not be used for 100% of deliveries, but it's part of in your, in your last mile, first mile mix. You can factor, you can include some locker point pickups, alternative pickups, and especially as we get the flywheel more and more locations, where there's a lot of porch piracy and things like that. People can easily say, and say, I'm not going to be home. I can have it delivered to my locker around the corner, or I'm traveling to LA for a business. I got some items I need to get delivered. I can go pick an, a location. But the concept really is people want to have this fully integrated within a, like a fully branded experience, not have to go use some other third party thing. It's fully integrated in. And so they really see, they kind of understand, oh, this is a 
as fully integrated experience. They really don't even know who Harbor is, but it's behind the scene technology, just like Amazon Web Services or Stripe for payment processing. The average customer has no idea when they go to a Shopify store who's processing the payments or when they're watching Netflix who's serving it. That's the model that we own, and that's what we've been kind of experts in over the years is on the hardware side. And, and the software side, for that matter, because the reality is if you're going to provide API endpoints for booking a locker, opening a locker, closing a locker, if you're going to provide endpoints for analytic services on locker usage, on location-based usage, if you're going to provide, if you're going to provide all of this data and all of these API endpoints that these various third-party providers of logistic services, just using the broadest term possible, logistic services, if, if you're going to be providing those services to them, then you have to have a full suite of mm -hmm. services to kind of service almost any and every type of requirement that they might have that they may want to extend to their customer. I guess being able to tra transfer between lockers, being able to extend a locker duration, being able to notify someone when they haven't picked up something within five days or 10 days, whatever. You've got all these different complexities associated with these locker services and the complexity grows super quickly. And I think of even some of the biggest retailers, they have started to establish their own locker networks in their own physical retail stores for click and collect. And it feels if they could tap into your network system, Sure, they could white label your technology and use it as purely an in-house piece of technology. But why wouldn't they simply make their physical locations one of the locations available in your network, not just for their own parcels, but for anyone else's parcels that wants to use their particular location? And in some respects, that all of a sudden turns something that would traditionally be considered a cost center into a potential profit center because of the rev share, or at least cost neutral to, to implement lockers, right? Yeah. The answer your question, it's they're not aware of it yet. So that's where for us, we're just getting out in market on this product. The retailer strategy, that is, is a no-brainer, especially for some of these other tier retailers. Investing in infrastructure and lockers is expensive and it doesn't make sense, even though they see the demand for it. And then they start running out the financial models of investing into all their brick and mortar locations that are already struggling to invest more capital in it is difficult. But for us, all those brick and mortar locations are prime locations for a location host. So that's what we see. How can we make this a win scenario where that, that retailer can use the locker for BOPIS? They can also become an access on our marketplace locker network. And then how can we really make the, the model work for them where they can reduce labor costs on their side, really improve the customer satisfaction. They can pick up any time through the locker and also lets our other partners that aren't even affiliated with that store to come use that same locker and then maybe bring an additional foot traffic into that retailer store. Hey, I'm going there to pick up this item for a um, DoorDash food delivery. While I'm there, maybe I can go grab a new shirt I need or a new some clothing or, some, or shopping that this the retail location that location's at. So that's the, um, the vision um, that we're working on. We are in the early stage of this um, execution, uh, but I'm really excited you know, if we talked in the end of next year to see how a lot of these things that are in our pipeline and coming alive where they actually have uh, more fruitful conversations on the retail side. If the retailer wants to have a more bespoke type of experience at checkout, sure, they can still be part of your public locker network, but they could create a custom checkout module uh, or a custom logistics module in their own sales, in their own checkout flow, for example that integrates via API with your locker network. So they can still leverage your locker network. They don't have to just leverage their own 
locations. They could leverage your locations site-wide, including their locations. And they could say, look, we're going to create a checkout process that instead of just using and consuming your lockers via somebody like a UPS or a FedEx or somebody or a major logistics carrier that may already be integrated with you, hey, we're going to not only make our location part of your customer-facing network and be part of the marketplace of locations, but we're also going to create a custom module for our checkout whereby our customers can access that locker network directly. And we're going to present to them what those locker locations are through our own custom interface. And I don't know, maybe it uses Google Maps or whatever it might be, or maybe through your API, you provide everything, including the display layer of where lockers are located near them. And from there, it feels like this is as close to a turnkey service that allows a brand to stand up locker-based click and collect almost overnight. I don't want to say overnight because obviously you have to get the lockers there and you've got to install them. You've got to make sure they're, they're, they're a workable partner and that, that they're in a location that maybe you have some gaps and all those other things that you do when you vet a retail partner for a potential locker location. But it feels it's a significantly lower lift than if they build the entire bloody thing in-house using commercial locker technology or commercial stacking locker technology. Because I know there's some companies in Europe that provide those automated locker carousels system. Yep. And so it feels like, sure, they could go and do all this themselves, but still at the end of the day, they would only be leveraging their own locker network, even after they made that huge investment of time and money, whereas they could go and asset light model as part of their Bopus network and they could tap into your network. It's, it's a source of revenue, but they can still brand the experience and create the experience at checkout that they want to create. So it feels the best of both worlds for retailers. Yeah, you absolutely nailed it. And with that, the full turnkey, we try to make all of our APIs super developer friendly. That's why we spend all our time on how do we make this so simple that they can just really take a three-day implementation for like a retailer. How can they really just easily tap it in, fetch the locations as an alternate location they can deliver to. Then they use our API, can easily um, open the locker through the API. And then uh, for getting locker locations. We manufacture in the United States. We have manufacturing facility in Charlotte and Sacramento. So we keep these lockers in stock. So that's one of the other things. Is, hey, we got retailers. Like, hey, we want to go do a pilot. Let's go try this out. Let's go put some lockers around the city. We work with our partners on where we should put ideal locations. Typically, it's a pilot model. We go and work with them. Okay, let's go put a handful of locations near here and this here. Then we um, deploy the network. We, sp we can spin pilots out very quickly. We've even developed some other easy, low-code ways for them to even start trying lockers. If Before they even want to do that integration, how can we try it out? So those are other solutions that we've done on the, the, what we call build partners to get them on board. And we're talking about the retailers quite a bit. But one thing that a store I really like sharing is in San Francisco, we got this company called Satin Farms. He's, he, they mill flour. And he's a micro-entrepreneur. He started milling flour on his side gig. He was a computer engineer at Uber. And he was started as a, I really, there's nowhere to find good flour for cooking in the Bay Area. So he started milling flour and he got a mill, started milling. He started putting it on WhatsApp to friends that he's selling flour. Next thing you know, he's like getting so many orders that he's like, wow, I can't even come to my house anymore for these orders. And then he is, okay. Let's. You can meet me in front of Wall um, CVS uh, between 11 to 12 in San Jose. Next thing you know, okay, you got all the people showing up at 11 to 12. Some people weren't able to show up on time because they got family, someone, the baseball game, or something else popped up. 
man, I'm stuck with the flower. And at first, he's okay, it's only one. Then he started growing five different cities, like cities. And then he went from this like one day side business to taking his whole weekend, going into the day. And long story short, he started like came across, he started playing around. Oh, maybe I can use lockers. Maybe I can put like little things at businesses. He tried to build his own locker and it like fell apart. And so he came across us and he said, wow. So now he just, he mills his flour once a week. He takes orders all the way up to Friday. He mills it, does all the milling. And now he just goes around to our locker points around the Bay Area, drops them all off really quick, takes some little quick morning thing now. All the customers can pick them up anytime they want. He's now been able to quit his job at Uber and now does his company full time with one employee. He's got a commercial kitchen. He's grown. And this has all happened in a very short period of time. And it just shows, hey, he was like looking at DoorDash and they're taking big fees for delivery and all these things. And he leveraged our network. And this is a very small micro story I'm telling. But it just shows how you can, this one use case of using flour can be done in a lot of other cases for a retailer from an e-commerce brand. So maybe you have a lot of customers in LA and you're currently using like a 3PL. We have some companies like, hey, we can just deliver it ourselves at some of those points, especially for some stuff that's on subscriptions or and things like that. So that's where it's been exciting to see how from the commerce angle, how we're getting these like creative use cases that personally have been, you see a lot of direct-to-consumer brands building all these different things. We're talking about logistics, but the locker point, um, especially in the United States, is not mainstream. And it's been exciting to get the get the, the awareness going and that flywheel started here. And do you have competitors? Are you saying that this is pretty much a blue ocean market, but a large part is, for example, does USPS, do they offer a, a locker network at all? Do Does FedEx, does UPS, do any of the major nationwide carriers and logistics partners, apart from Amazon, obviously, do they offer these these locker networks to their customers that can service them or surface them through the experience where they've integrated into other technology platforms? Or is pretty much this is at this stage open slather for you guys and you've taken a leadership position in the market because you see, hey, first of all, very few other third-party companies are offering this. Very few retailers are offering this as, a, as an internal service. And the major carriers aren't really offering this at scale yet. Okay, if no one's going to do it, we're going to step up to the plate and we're going we're gonna to own this piece and we're going to really corner the market as fast as we possibly can because we just don't see anybody else taking a leadership position like we'd like to see and like we've seen in other countries. Yeah, in the United States has been... Some of the carriers have done at a low scale. They've done lockers and access points with UPS. USPS has lockers at a micro scale at some locations. The typical issue they run into has been the cost of deploying and maintaining a locker network. That's not their expertise of deploying and maintaining the locker network. In addition, the return on investment has been difficult when they go and deploy all that metal into the market. So that's where with the United States has had the hardest time just because of the scale of the United States for one of the, some of the top carriers to take that initiative to do that return on investment of that infrastructure. So as of right now, there's no retail, no brand carriers or even companies at scale deploying locker networks. We do have some buckets of regional use cases. You have some lockers in other areas, which like us, we do a lot of lockers, but the apartment buildings and retail stores. So you see some of the retailers now that's what was us at Home Depot, fully branded, purchase infrastructure, fully integrated into the mobile app checkout page, all the business process. But that's a fully, that's a big investment Home Depot made to do that. And they're seeing the returns on it, but they did, they did have a little bit of risk. But 
that's where um, carriers have had a hard time, and that's where we are the first mover. And we do see the market will have most likely additional movers as it comes in. And you know, we do see this as a community. As much as we want, we would like to have more and more locker companies pop up. We have a, our founder started a company called Locker One Ventures, where we actually invest into companies. And some of these are actual locker companies. And these locker, and that's where we see, especially the ecosystem in the United States, is we're spreading more awareness of lockers. And we would love to, at least there is some other companies looking at different open shared locker concepts. And we're open to talking to all of them because we, we see this as a, to really grab ad- adoption in the United States, this is a collaboration effort. And then we need to have customers have the option when they go to that checkout page to be able to choose a locker anywhere. And that could be one near their house, near their work. And we see this as an, an almost a collaboration movement. So we do opt for like open source code on our some parts of our project so we can collaborate more with individuals. And that's where um, we see people even taking some of our electronics and making other locker use cases as well. So that's where we're not the first mover, but we really want to be the catalyst that connects everything together. And how can we really let other companies and that want to join the network with us to be able to tap into one one spot for that. And I guess the reality is if you've got an API endpoint that you surface to other service providers that want to tap into your network, and as long as those other competing networks, for lack of a better term, those other competing networks, so long as they have open APIs, you can effectively consume their APIs and bring their network locations into your network as if it was your network and you basically get a wholesale rate from them. And then you extend out those services to your other partners that are consuming your services and extending those to the end consumer. It feels like that's a very virtuous cycle, right? So even the smaller players that maybe have a regional stronghold, let's say, I don't know, that maybe there's one major player that owns 90% of the locker locations in Dallas, Texas, for example. And let's say you're not strong there and you're going, why would we go and invest if there's already a super strong player there? So long as they have wholesale APIs that we can connect to and effectively make that part of our network by API connectivity, then maybe we go asset light in that region and maybe we don't try to compete with them head to head. Maybe we consume their services and extend those into our network and effectively de facto make them part of our network and vice versa. They might go, hey, we're strong in Dallas, Texas, but we're not strong everywhere else. So let's consume these guys' services until we expand. And then once we've expanded into a new area and we feel like we've reached escape velocity, then we can take their services out of our network and use only our services directly in a given network. So it feels to me like this is very much a virtuous cycle is that there's room enough. The the United States market is just so massive that it's going to be difficult, even with a a company with the resources of a NASA Abloy, it's going to be difficult to dominate that entire market coast to coast and north to south. It's just going to be, it feels like almost an impossible task. And so you can pick up locations as you go by working with these regional stronghold carriers. Yeah, spot on. That's where we see the opportunities, a lot of collaborations and really becoming, growing the ecosystem is the biggest part for us. So we don't have at too much momentum currently with that. Um, but again, we do see as to the vision, we, as more and more companies come on board and we're open to support, we're open to talk to companies. We talk to other locker companies all the time. We even worked with a lot of companies that were providing locker-based solutions and they're going and building lockers and manufacturing them instead of now they're, hey, we don't need lockers. We don't need, we, why, are we just, why are we building lockers, going to China and importing them, manufacturing them, making all this, dealing with all the headaches, why can't we just tap into your lockers? We have a lot of companies that are joining in on top and building solutions on top of our network that 
used to be our competitors. They now are saying, hey, let's have you guys focus on the hardware side and the software and the connectivity of the locker. Let us focus on the software side and the user acquisition and providing amazing customer experiences. And that's how that's been a great strategy for us. And that's been something that the win, we get to do what we enjoy and that's our expertise in. And they get to focus on growing their business in a way that they never even thought was physical, was even possible until they really discovered the opportunity. Wow, that is so amazing. And for you guys, what? how do you make your money? Is it basically a wholesale API call rate or something like that? How do, how do you price your services? How do you create connectivity to other third parties that may want to connect into your network and build apps on top of it? How, how do you guys make your money, usually with, a, with kind of almost like a SaaS API yeah. first platform like yours? Usually it's some combination of maybe a fixed monthly access fee plus maybe an API call level fee. That's oftentimes how it works. So how do you guys make your money in the market? Strictly pay-per-use. So anytime you access one of the door locations for a rental, we charge a rental fee to secure the space. If it's with a locker that we don't own, that's part of a hardware, a physical locker location that's owned within our network, we just offer a, a network exchange fee. And sometimes that rental fee of that locker owner sets their fee on it. Sometimes they don't. Depends what the use case is. So we are strictly a transactional pay-per-use model, knows monthly fees. And we do have some extended services that we could offer in a more for more enterprise level of retailers and partners. That's our main core package today. Wow. Absolutely amazing. And if people want to get a hold of you and learn more and find out more and have a conversation with you about either extending locker services into their retail solutions, or if there's a retailer that wants to become part of your network, et cetera, are they best to go to Luxor One? And I'll put the links to Luxor One in the show notes and everything else, but would you prefer that they go to Luxor One or should they connect with you personally on LinkedIn and open up a dialogue there? How do you like people to get a hold of you? We're open in a lot of channels. So we know we are a special division at Luxor One. So we have a special brand that we developed called Harbor Locker. So I would recommend checking out harborlocker.com. On that website, it's strictly 100% dedicated to our marketplace public locker network. You can see how the locker functionality works, kind of see how we have all of our API documentation there. So even a button there that says get started. With that, you get access to our sandbox environment. So really seeing how the locker locations fetch. I'm on, personally, I'm on LinkedIn. Feel free to reach out there. In addition, you always email me at vantucker at luxor1.com. Wow, absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all about your your technology, your service, how you guys operate. Is there anything that your customers are asking for that you don't do today that you say, hey, within the next 12, 18 months, we're going to add to our services? Or is there anything, any gaps, any additional gaps in the market that you see today that you're not providing services around that you, you would like to enhance and extend your services over the next 12, 18 months? Or do you think you've got your mouth full, your hands full, just trying to service the, the demand that's right in front of your face? Yeah, I think from a service side, a lot of the common question individuals ask is, hey, how much does it cost to buy your lockers? <laughs> and that's been a, the most difficult thing is we don't sell the lockers. You pay per use. Um, so that's always been a fun opportunity, and especially how some individuals um, may want to spin up a network in other regions outside of North America. So that's something that's in our service offering. It's more of a business side. How can we get more and more companies that, hey, I want to start my own um, network, maybe in a non-primary market that we're not deploying lockers deeply into. Say, hey, I want to start some locker network in Arkansas, and I really want to, um, and we may not have a large presence there. How can we um, partner with them, and how can they? we do that in a way we may not have our t- uh, field technicians at currently? So that's already in motion. We have companies coming to us like, hey, for that use case. Another and that similar one is the locker configuration. We By design, we built this locker to be the 80-20 of lockers. It covers about 80% of the needs. 
sometimes that remaining 20%, someone may say, hey, your locker size doesn't fit or another configuration. So we do have other options that we've been rolling out where, hey, maybe you can make your other locker become harbor enabled or how you can do some you can buy one of our locker towers and have one of them dedicated. So those are things that we're working on as well for the use cases that may doesn't fit our 80-20 of lockers. So besides that, from my platform side, the products and, you know, we take a lot of our product feedback very deeply. We have um, developer meetups every Thursday. We bring a lot of our community gets together where we meet with our community. We get feedback. Um, We also do um, meetups with a lot of the companies building on our platforms. Because a lot of these retail companies on the retail side collaborate. Hey, who's your delivery company? Well, we got this company that's already doing delivery for lockers. Let's introduce them to them. Or I want to do um, a food pantry solution. We may work with a city who plays in public spaces. We have a company that built a food pantry app that you can tap into. So we really built this whole ecosystem, very similar to what how Shopify built the Shopify app store and the Shopify expert program where they built a, you know, was the framework of individuals building e-commerce stores, but it built an entire industry around Shopify agencies, Shopify app store, and then also even the, the logistic arms. So that's where we really see this we're building. We're building a complete ecosystem of companies all collaborating together and um, it's been really fun um, on this journey so far. Wow, what an exciting time to be in your industry. It feels like it's, it's early days yet and it's always nice to be first cab off the rank with a new, with an entirely new ecosystem and entirely new piece of technology. So super exciting. Now we're at the time where I get to hand the microphone over to you, get to let you ask me one question, any question you like, it can be personal or professional. So Mr. Van Tucker, what is your question for me today? I've been wondering, why do you choose a flamingo behind you on your backdrop? This is actually a, a real, this is not a virtual backdrop. This is actually real. And it's uh, only for the recordings that I'm doing these last couple of days because I am in an apartment complex in Cancun currently as part of my year-long travel through Mexico. And this is a shared boardroom workspace here. And they've got these beautiful pictures all around the boardroom here. And so I'm sitting at a desk in the boardroom and they've got this beautiful flamingo picture behind me. This is, this is a very privileged position that you're in here is to get the, the flamingo shot because there's only, I think, three or four episodes I've been able to record from here and yours is one of them. So yours is going to be the flamingo shot episode. So it's a pretty good situation for you. Got a lot of the flamingos. We got a Harbor Island coming out and we have a Harbor mascot that's we call Harbor Harry. He's our seal. So maybe you can come join Harbor Island in the Bahamas someday. And that's where we have Harbor Harry and we have some Harbor Island. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Look, and if you're ever down uh, Mexico way in the next uh, year or so, or for, I'm sure we'll probably cause cross paths at some digital e-commerce conference over the next year or so. But yeah, if you're ever down in Mexico, you have to look me up and uh, we'll have to go out for, uh, for some margaritas. But listen, Van, it has been a fantastic conversation. I've really enjoyed our time together. Thank you for sharing all about your incredible locker service and uh, your last, your lockers as a service platform. And I wish you guys every success and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Are you a B2B or D2C e-commerce merchant? Then head over to greenwoodconsulting.net to learn how we can help you scale your business.